0: Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday, February 14th, 2021. Transfiguration Sunday. Thank you for listening this week, and if you would like to view the service in its entirety, please go to our Facebook or YouTube page by following one of the links in the podcast notes. Also, we would invite you to please support our ministry here at Beach Grove through your offerings. We have both online and physical giving opportunities And we encourage you to reach out to us if you have any questions about giving. Contact us by emailing us at office at beachgroveumc.org. Or you can message us on Facebook or call our church office at 757-538-8353. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And please don't forget to share it with others. This week's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day we would encounter you and be transformed by your message. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Now, let me know if this sounds familiar. For those of you who have been on a church retreat, you may be familiar with this kind of language of mountaintop experiences. That may sound familiar. I remember as a youth group, as a youth. Going to youth retreats and youth camps and speakers would often talk about how these retreats, how these camps, how these experiences were mountaintop experiences. We were at the mountaintop of our faith. Everything was great and joyous and wonderful. There is this sense that we have these great and awesome experiences in our faith that make us feel all jumpy and happy. And yet there would be that reminder for each and every one of us attending those retreats or at those camps that we can't reside on the mountaintop. And we have to return to the valleys. We can't stay at the mountaintop. It can't all be sunshine and roses. That's that's often how I would interpret that. You see, I agree with the message that there were these great and grandiose experiences that we had that played a role in the manner in which we were community together. But you know, it never felt like those valleys were treated really kindly or respectably. You see, valleys were often portrayed as these terrible places where faith did not exist. They were often taught that these mountaintop experiences were what we took with us so that we could endure those valleys. And I began to think of how bad this imagery was. It almost made me regret life because I always wanted to be on the mountain. I never wanted to go to the valley because the valley felt like punishment. Now I understand these probably were not always the intent behind the words, and some people may have had different experiences of it, but I think there might have been a better explanation so that leaving these retreats, leaving these camp experiences didn't feel like a chore. I didn't feel like I was being punished for having to go home. I'm sure there are many tuning in today who have probably experienced this rhetoric, whether in attending retreats yourselves or hearing these stories from other people. I'm not speaking against it, but I want to envision a new understanding of these mountaintop experiences as we look at our scripture in front of us today, hopefully offering a new perspective, a new way of thinking about what it means to go to the mountaintop and then descend back into the valley. Essentially, looking at how the mountaintop transforms us and then going back into the valley, taking that transformation with us to transform the world. How do we turn the witness that we experience to bring the witness to others? This week in the liturgical calendar is known as Transfiguration Sunday. Yes, I did practice that with a mask on. Transfiguration Sunday. I think I got it sounding pretty good. It is the Sunday. It is the last Sunday in our season after Epiphany. And it is the last Sunday before we enter our season of Lent. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And we will open up the season of Lent. If you want more information on the season of Lent, join us on Wednesday. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a sneak preview today. You have to join us on Wednesday. Okay? And so we finish this season with this story of Jesus taking Peter and James and John up to this mountaintop. And then while they're up there, they experience this great and magical change of Jesus. Now, here we go. This is not, this is a literal, physical change of Jesus. The nature of Jesus has not changed. Jesus had always been, and for us, will always be the Son of God. But here in this story, we see a literal change. And that's why the Gospel writer in Mark here, and in Matthew, and in Luke, where this story is recorded, uses this word transfigured. Because transfigured in the Greek is this word, metamorpho. And that may sound familiar to me- many of us. It is the uh, root of our word, metamorphosis. And this word in Greek, and as it is translated into other languages, means a literal, physical transformation. It means that the physical nature of Christ was changed. And we hear that. Noah, In Noah's reading of the scripture for us this morning, we heard of that physical change. That physical change was that Jesus appeared white. His robe turned white, better than any bleach could ever do. His appearance appeared bright and white. Almost a blinding experience. He was transfigured before them, and then he was joined by Elijah and Moses. I want to distinguish the physical nature of this word as a means of change. This word transfigured. Because what happens to Jesus is a physical change. His outward physical appearance has changed. We see that his clothes become white, and he is joined by two famed prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus' Jewish heritage. We see and understand from this transfiguration that Jesus going through this physical change leads to the disciples going through a transformational, an inward transformation, change within them. This story presenting for us what happens or what should happen when we have those mountaintop experiences. And we see what happens with the disciples in it. Because how do the disciples respond in the situation both on the mountaintop and when we think about what happens when they descend as well? Because this mountaintop experience for these three disciples, when we read further on in Mark and when we read the other Gospels and we see the way that the other Gospel writers tell the story, it changes them. It doesn't transfigure them. Their outward appearance isn't changed, but it transforms them inside. We see Peter's response on the mountaintop. In verse 5, we see Peter say, oh, why don't we build three dwellings? Jesus, one for you, and one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And when we read the scripture, that is, when when we look at a piece of paper, or we look at our Bible, and we read that scripture, it almost seems like, oh, well, Peter's just trying to be reverent. He sees Jesus, and James, I mean, he sees Jesus, and Moses, and Elijah, and he's like, oh, here is Jesus, and two great historical biblical figures, we should build a tent for each one of them. That way they can dwell in this divine place. No, no, no. When we read on, we see that Peter's intentions behind this is Peter literally has no idea what to do. We see that the gospel writer tells us that he was terrified with fear. we learn that that Peter and James and John are free. It appears when you look at this verse in context that they legitimately feared for their livelihood. They not only were wondering what was going on, but they were like, am I going to make it out of this experience alive? But suffice to say, Peter appears to to just be responding in a way that he hopes doesn't get him and James and John or main. But look at the calming presence in this passage. You see, because Peter and James and John go from being very terrified, afraid, to calm an understanding of what is going on. Because in verse 7, the gospel writer tells us that then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him at least I hope it calmed them, this voice from the clouds, similar to that voice in the clouds from Jesus' baptism, calls out and names the divine nature of Jesus. And in the same instance, in that same moment that Jesus is identified as the Son of God, offers a sense of calm and peace about what is happening. Why is Jesus joined by Elijah and Moses? Why is his appearance changed in front of them? But because that God is showing these disciples exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is transfigured so that these disciples can meet, know and understand exactly the role that Jesus plays in salvation, and in their growth as disciples. And the experience ends right there. Suddenly and immediately. Because right after that voice, Elijah and Moses disappear, Jesus' robes turn back to the ratty, probably brown, dirt-colored, weathered robes that he had been wearing when they ascended the mountain. And when the four are alone again, And the three disciples begin to process what happened. The terror and awe are then replaced by reverence and understanding, having transformed their nature and experience of the divine. You see how this is different than what happens to Jesus? You see, Jesus is transformed, figured physically. His physical appearance is changed. But think of what happens to the disciples in that moment. They are inwardly changed. Jesus experiences an outward that leads to an over that leads to a change within the disciples. Or this transformation. As we begin to think about these two words, we see the transfiguration is what helps us to notice the divine nature of Christ. It is that mountaintop experience. And the transformation is what's happening inwardly. Melinda Quivick, who is a, a biblical theology professor, addresses this difference between these two words, saying this. She says, Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah is not transformed. You see, he's not changed inwardly. But transfigured before his disciples. He is not made to have new essential self, but God desires to be in a relationship with us. Last week we explored God's love for creation and desire to preserve it through love and not cause disruption to creation. But this week, it's almost as if God takes a step forward and seeks to promise not just to not destroy creation, not just to love creation, but to love to take a central role in humanity. And it is through this covenant that we encounter Abraham's just relationship with God. And then we contemplate on what it means ourselves. And so we come to the next question in our series. What is our role in this relationship? Our role is our response. It is our response to be in relationship with God. We know that God loves us unconditionally, even if we don't acknowledge God's love. You see, this is the cool thing that we have in our United Methodist Theologies. We have a term for this, it's called prevenient grace, or the grace that comes before. It comes before our knowledge. It comes before our acceptance. But it informs us of the notion in which God is always reaching out to us, Isn't that what we can see here in this covenant with Abraham? In these verses, we see God's desire not just to have a relationship with Abraham, but to have a relationship with the multitude of nations that will succeed Abraham. It is in these verses we see God's desire to love us, to be a part of our lives, And so our response is to acknowledge what God has done and to live in what God will do. It is in this notion that we enter into the relationship with God through Jesus. We commit to be a part of God's kingdom and embody in our sacrifice a commitment to God. Along with that, we also recognize, like last week, the wideness of God's love and grace. That it is made within this passage. It is in the covenant here that God's love extends to the community of humanity. And it is in this nature that we seek the work of God to begin. First in the family of Abraham. And following through with creation. If we read and look at the sections that are missing from our lectionary reading. Again, we're using the lectionary passages, which is a cycle of passages that... Uh, preachers and pastors use to guide their time through the uh, yearly liturgical calendar. Sometimes verses are omitted for a variety of reasons. But if we look at the missing verses in this section, we see that Abraham involves his pole house. All who are a part of this covenant, and in other passages surrounding this, we engage with God's blessing outside of Abraham's family. And it is in this nature of Abraham, of Abraham's family, and of Abraham's people entering into this covenant that we see exactly what God is doing here. It is in this nature of God extending love to Abraham and the multitude of nations standing forth that we engage through Jesus with the God who desires to be in relationship with us as he sought to be in relationship with Abraham. And so we do our part To enter into this covenant and to acknowledge what entering into this covenant means. In Genesis 17, God establishes a sign of the covenant. And in those missing passages, again, I encourage you to go and and, and read the entirety of this story. We see the sign of this covenant for Abraham is the circumcision of males. And when we encounter the narrative of covenant in the New Testament, we see that circumcision does not continue as a sign of, of, of covenant but through the establishment in Scripture and the practice of tradition, the experience and encountering of God's grace through baptism becomes both a sign and an experience of that covenant in the Christian church. And it's why we hold on to baptism, and it is through baptism that we enter into this type of covenant ourselves, much like God calls Abraham and Abraham's people to do. The covenant here A promise to be in relationship through generations. And so when I enter into this covenant, I don't enter into it myself, but I enter into it as a notion of community with others as well. A promise to be present and loving. A promise to walk alongside no matter where we go as we seek to journey on this path of sanctification. Abraham's life, marked by times in which faith is exemplified, so too do we journey with god marked by times of faith exemplified through god's love as we seek to embody our relationship with god we show our faith by living as disciples of jesus in the world we love god and we love our neighbor we love as god loves and we discern where it is god is calling us and who god is calling us to serve and we are given here in this text a cast of characters that will form the first generation and we witness the notion of God's fullness and the blessing in this story and the role that they will play in God's acts of redemption for humanity last week we encountered grief through destruction and vowed to never harm creation in the same way again this week God desires for humanity to reach the other way and to see the genuineness of God's promise and promise to love God in return. It's a decision we are faced with at every moment in our lives. And the entering of this relationship joins us, not just with the community here with us, but with that great cloud of witnesses that goes before us in faith. Because it truly is a generational covenant that God has made throughout the ages to all persons. We must seek to build and grow our relationship with God by living out the promise to love God by doing God's work in the world. By learning and growing in God's grace and living it out on a daily basis. How will you grow in a relationship with God this week? Amen. Church, But it is a conviction that we go into spaces that Christ would have gone to in the world. Immediately following the story of the Transfiguration, Jesus goes right back down, right back